0: Is that right? Yes. Psalm 59. To the chief musician set to do not destroy a miktam of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life, the mighty gather against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold, you therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. At evening they return, they growl like a dog, and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength. For God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield, For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride, and for the cursing and lying which they speak, consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be, and let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth, Selah. And at evening they return, they growl like a dog, and go all around the city. They wander up and down for food, and howl if they are not satisfied But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. Okay, we're into Joshua 15 this week. We're going to do verses 1 through 12 today. This is entitled, The Borders of the Land of Judah. So this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. The border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin southward was the extreme southern boundary. And their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. Then it went out to the southern side of the ascent of Akravim, passed along to Zin, ascended on the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along to Hezron, went up to Adar and went around to Karka'ah. From there it passed toward Atzmon and went out to the brook of Egypt, and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. The east border was the Salt Sea as far as the mouth of the Jordan, and the border on the northern quarter began at the bay of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan. The border went up to Beit Hogla and passed north of Beit Arba, and the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Then the border went up toward the Bir, from the Valley of Ahor, and it turned northward toward Gilgal, which is before the ascent of Adumim, which is on the south side of the valley. The border continued toward the waters of Shemesh and ended at En Rogel. And the border went up by the Valley of the Son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. The border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the Valley of Hinnom, westward, which is at the end of the valley of Rephaim northward. Then the border went around from the top of the hill to the fountain of the water of Naphthoah and extended to the cities of Mount Ephron. And the border went around to Baalah, which is Kiriath-Jerim. Then the border turned westward from Baalah to Mount Seir, passed along to the side of Mount Jerim on the north, which is Hesalom went down to Bet-Shemesh, and passed on to Timnah. And the border went out to the side of Ekron northward. Then the border went around to Shikron, passed along to Mount Baalah, and extended to Javnael. And the border ended at the sea. The west border was the coastline of the Great Sea. This is the boundary of the children of Judah all around according to their families." I went out to Boulder, Colorado in September of 2021 to be with a friend as he buried his wife, who was also my friend. I was only there a couple days and I did not see much, but one thing that I remember clearly was a rocky outcropping on the top of a mountain called Devil's Thumb. I was told it was there, but couldn't really see it until we got to the right angle, and then it became pretty obvious. It stuck right out just like a big fat thumb. There will be a similar thumb in today's passage you've heard the sermon passage mentioning the stone of bohan we could just say well yeah it's there to mark out the border and nothing more And that could be true but when the things referred to in these borders keep matching things that are found elsewhere in the bible it becomes harder to simply dismiss them as coincidences i will admit a bit of speculation for a couple of the names in this passage But that is more likely my inability to properly analyze what is being presented than any lack in the biblical text. The thing is, like all other typology, it has to match the other instances where the same things are mentioned, or we're just making things up as we go. And that is not a good way to handle an evaluation of scripture. But when it does match up, that makes it pretty certain that we are being shown more than just literal history but typology as well. What I'm saying when I say that is that we will see something like the word Arava in the book of Numbers, and we'll see it in Deuteronomy, we'll see it in Joshua. It has to be translated the same way each time, or you're making something up. We don't want to do that. We want to be consistent in how we analyze words, using them in the same manner. If that happens and it keeps making pictures, we're seeing something. Our text verse comes from Proverbs 30. It is verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. If every word of God is pure, then it logically follows that every word of God also has purpose. In stating that something in the word is pure, and the Bible says a lot of things, then we can be confident that God has carefully placed each word in Scripture for a reason, or several reasons. Solomon then goes on to say that God is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Well, how does that come about? Someone could say some other supposed holy book was the word of God. So do we just say, okay, then I'll put my trust in the God seen in that book because someone said it? That would be foolish. So how do we determine if the word we really have is the word of God? By reading it, studying it, and then accepting or rejecting the premise stated in it. Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can't reasonably say this is the word of God without actually checking it out. But once you've checked it out, faith came. The word was heard. And only then was there the necessary response. To get this, think of someone printing off a stack of books with the words, the Holy Bible on it. That's on the outside. But on the inside are just blank pages. See, it doesn't work. This wonderful book that we go through each week is filled with evidence that it is what it claims to be. In today's sermon, I am going on faith that the borders of Judah are telling us a story. Why? Because I have done the study. If you stick around, you'll hear what is presented. Then you can decide if it fits in with what you know. Great things truly are to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first one is, this is the boundary. It's verses 1 through 12. The methodical presentation of how the land is divided continues in chapter 15. The narrative went from what was conquered under Joshua to what remained to be conquered. That was verses 13, 1 through 7. It next detailed the land inheritance of those east of the Jordan. That was 13, 8 through 14. That was then further defined by detailing the land of each of the tribes east of the Jordan. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That was 13, 15 through 33. In chapter 13, it twice noted that Levi had no inheritance, meaning land inheritance. Chapter 14 first noted how the land west of the Jordan would be divided to the nine and one-half tribes, again noting that Levi received no land inheritance. That was 14, 1 through 5. Immediately after that, it detailed the inheritance to be given to Caleb last week, 14, 6 through 15. With that logically presented and detailed, the division of the land to the individual tribes of the Jordan takes place. There is careful order in how each step is laid out. The first tribe's land grant is detailed here, that of Judah, verse 1. So this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. And came the lot, to tribe sons Judah, to their families. Of this initial division, Charles Ellicott provides a logical reason for Judah's placement, which is otherwise unstated in the narrative. Here's what he says. The question arises at this point, how the position of the tribes of Judah, Ephraim and Manasseh, was determined. As to the remaining seven, see note on Joshua 18:5 through 10. It is noticeable that Hebron appears to have been promised to Caleb, that's Joshua 14:12, and Shechem assigned to Joseph by Jacob. That's Genesis 48:21 through 22, and it will be in Joshua 24:32. Did not this necessarily bring the tribe of Judah into the south, the neighborhood of Hebron, and Ephraim with his brother Manasseh into the center of the country? His thoughts make sense. The lot is directed by the Lord. In order to keep the tribes together in a logical fashion, he determined each placement in accord with these earlier promises, also in accord with the prophecies previously uttered. In other words, and for example, Jacob prophesied that Simeon and Levi would be divided in Jacob and scattered in Israel. That's Genesis 49, verse 7. The scattering of Levi has come about through their selection as ministers to the people and because they have no tribal land grant. Simeon's scattering will come about when their land grant is placed within the borders of the already selected land grant of Judah. Another example would be when Jacob prophesied that the Messiah would come from Judah. That's Genesis 49, verse 10. To ensure this, Judah's land grant will be in the protected southern area of the land. While the northern tribes are exiled, Judah would remain a bastion of safety for those from any tribe who moved into that inheritance, thus preserving all tribes and allowing the Messiah to come forth as prophesied. From this it can be seen that everything in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament gospels and acts finds its place based upon the land grants being made as determined by the Lord. As the proverb says, Proverbs 16:33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. As for the listing of Judah first, nothing is said regarding the order of the lots cast. It is the results of the cast lots that is the focus. The land division for these first three tribes is stated according to the positioning of the tribes, generally going from south to north. As for Judah's land, verse 1 continues, the border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin, southward, was the extreme southern boundary. Elgevul Edom Midbar Tsin Negva Mikzeh Teman, unto border Edom, wilderness Tsin southward, extremity south this is the southern border of the land of canaan as defined in numbers chapter 34 hence this means that judah is the southernmost tribe Edom means red sin means thorn or barb verse 2 and their southern border began at the shore of the salt sea not only is the land described from south to north but it is described from east to west these words, and came to them border south extremity sea, the salt. This is the southeasternmost point of the land now granted to Judah. Hence, the eastern border lies along the Dead Sea, which is further described as, verse 2 continues, from the bay that faces southward. From the tongue, the facer southward it is debated what this tongue is, be it a rock promontory, a salt marsh, or simply the southern end of the Dead Sea. Looking at maps of the land give varied possibilities. As the same term is used again in verse 5 in referring to the north end of the sea, I deduce it is speaking of the southern end of the sea here. Verse 3, Then it went out to the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, passed along to Zin, ascended on the south side of Kadesh Barnea, Passed along to Hezron, went up to Adar, and went around to Karkaa. The names are Ma'ale Akravim, or Ascent of Scorpions. There are scorpions in this barren area, but in scripture, the scorpion is also used figuratively for a scourge. Sin means thorn. Kadesh Barnea means holy, purifying wanderings. Chetzron means enclosure or surrounded by a wall. Adar means wide, open place, honorable, or majestic. And Karka'ah means floor, ground, or pavement. Kadesh Barnea is the area furthest south. It was first noted in Genesis 14 as En Mishpat. It is the area where Miriam died and where Moses and Aaron rebelled against the word of the Lord. At that time, it was called Meribah Kadesh. Verse 4. From there it passed toward Atzmon and went out to the brook of Egypt and the border ended at the sea. Atzmon comes from atzom, meaning mighty. That comes from etzem, meaning a bone. The idea is that the skeletal structure is what provides strength. Thus, the place is called mighty or mighty one. The brook of Egypt is Nahal mitzrayim. The word Nahal comes from the verb Nahal, meaning to take or get as a possession. Mitzrayim, though debated, may mean double trouble. Verse 4 continues... This shall be your southern border. The words of this single clause go from the third person past tense to the second person future tense, following the same style as Moses in Numbers 34. The reason for this is not certain, but it is probably because this is not only the southern border of Judah's inheritance, but it is also the southern border of Israel's inheritance. Verse 5, the east border was the Salt Sea as far as the mouth of the Jordan. Ugevul kedema yam Hamelach ad yarden and border eastward sea, the salt, unto extremity the Jordan. The meaning is that the western shore of the Dead Sea would be Judah's eastern border, all the way to where the Jordan enters into the sea. At that point, verse 5 continues, And the border on the northern quarter began at the bay of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan hayam And border side northward, from tongue, the sea extremity, the Jordan. The meaning is that this northern border goes to the spot where the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. From there, verse 6, the border went up to Beit Hogla and passed north of Beit Arava. Ve'avar mitzphon le'bet HaArava. And went up the border bet Hoglah and passed over north to Beth Arava. Beth Hoglah means house of the partridge, but it also means house of turning in joy. The word comes from hagal to wobble or to hop. It is the same name as one of the daughters of Zelophehad. This is a point between the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, but belonging to Benjamin. It is between Jericho and the Dead Sea. Beit ha means house of the plain, but it is derived from arav, meaning to give in pledge. Hence, it can also mean house of the pledge. It is ascribed to Judah in Joshua 1561 and then to Benjamin in Joshua 1822. Hence, it was a joint border city. Next, verse 6, and the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben ha'gevul Even bohan ben Reuben, and went up the border. Stone bohan, son Reuben. Bohan is identical to bohen, the thumb or big toe. It was probably a thick, prominent stone that was used as a landmark and named after a son of Reuben. Maybe he was buried there or did some heroic thing there. Strong's defines the meaning as closing, but I have no idea why. Verse 7, then the border went up toward Debir, from the valley of Achor, and it turned northward toward Gilgal, which is before the ascent of Adumim, which is on the south side of the valley. Debir means place of the word. This is not the same Debir as seen in Joshua 10 or the other Debir in Joshua 13. It is a third location with this name situated not too far from Jericho. Achor means trouble. This is most likely where Wadi Kelt is today. It received its name from the events recorded in Joshua 7, where Achan was taken out and stoned and then burned. Gilgal, ha-gilgal, means the rolling away, signifying the liberty. Adumim is a plural word coming from Adom, red, or Adam, Adam, or man. Thus it is the ascent of the red ones, or ascent of the Adams, meaning men that is said to be negev la nahal or from south to the wadi the noun nahal coming from the verb nahal means to inherit verse 7 continues the border continued toward the waters of En shemesh and ended at en rogel en shemesh means fountain or eye of the sun the same word means Both. It means fountain because it looks like a spring, an eye coming up, or eye. So it's either fountain or eye of the sun. It is identified today as the Apostles' Spring, which is about a mile below Bethany. That is the only spring on the road to Jericho. And Rogel could have a couple meanings. Rogel comes from regel, meaning foot, or ragel, meaning to go about on foot. As such, it could mean fountain or eye of the fuller, because the foot is used for washing garments, or fountain of the traveler. Verse eight. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. Hagavur Ge Ben Hinnom El Ketef Habusi Mi Negev Hi And ascended the border valley, son Hinnom. Unto shoulder the Jebusite, it, Jerusalem. The word translated as valley is different than the previous verses. It is gay. It comes from gava, pride, or confidence. That comes from ga'ah, meaning to rise up, increase, and so on. The original meaning of hinom is pretty much lost. The few who attempt to translate it associate it with the thought of wailing. Hence, this could be paraphrased as the exaltation of the son of groaning. In the New Testament, this becomes the well-known Gehenna. It is a valley that runs along the border of Jerusalem. Jebusite means treading down or trodden underfoot. Jerusalem can have various meanings, but foundation of peace is sufficient. Verse 8 continues, the border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the end of the valley of Rephaim northward. It is supposed by some that this is referring to Mount Moriah, seen in Genesis 22, 2 and 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1, the spot where Isaac was offered up and later where the temple was built. This is said to be at the end of Emek Rephaim Tzaphonah, depth Rephaim Northward. The Emek is a deep, broad valley. Rephaim comes from either Rafa to sink or relax, or from Rafa to heal. Strong's goes with the latter. Thus it would be the depth of the healed ones. Verse 9, then the border went around from the top of the hill to the fountain of the water of Neftoah. Vetaar <speaking in> hagevu <Hebrew> merosh hahar el mayan Me and marked out the border from top the mountain unto fountain waters Neftoah. There is a new word here, Ta'ar. It comes from a primitive root meaning to delineate. Hence it means to extend, be drawn, or mark out. There is a marking out of the area from the top of the mountain that extends to the fountain of these waters, identified as Ain Lifta, which is northwest of Jerusalem. Neftoah means opening. Verse nine continues and extended to the cities of Mount Ephron. The name Ephron comes from either Ofer, a deer, or Afar, meaning dust. The same name was seen in Genesis 23, and it signifies of the dust. Verse nine continues and the border went around to Baalah, which is Kiryat Jerim. VeTaar Hagevul Baalah He Kiryat Yerim and marked out the border Baalah It Kiryath Jerim. Ba'ala means lady or mistress. Kiriath-Durim means city of forests or city of honeycombs. This city is noted in scripture as the residence for the Ark of the Covenant for 20 years after it was sent back to Israel by the Philistines. Verse 10, then the border turned westward from Ba'ala to Mount Seir. Ve'nasav hagevu mi ba'ala yama el har seir and went around the border from Ba'ala westward unto Mount Seir. This is obviously not the same Mount Seir which is found in the land of Edom, but it is the same name, Mount Harry, probably given because of its hairy appearance being covered in low brush or bushes. From there, verse 10 continues, passed along to the side of Mount Jerim on the north, which is Keselon, went down to Beit Shemesh and passed on to Timnah. Mount Jerim has the same meaning as Kiriath Jerim, Mount of Honeycombs or Mount of Trees. The name Chesalon comes from Kasal, used only in Jeremiah 10 verse 8. Here's what it says there. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations, for this is your rightful due, for among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you, but they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. That word there, kassal, a wooden idol, is a worthless doctrine. Some use the word in a manner that attempts to turn it into a good concept and thus translate Hessalon as trust or firm confidence, but it appears to simply mean Mount stupidity. <laughs> Beth Shemesh means house of the sun. Timnah means allotted portion. Timnah is said to be in Judah in verse 1557, but it is said to be in Dan in verse 1943. Hence, it too was a joint border city. Verse 11, and the border went out to the side of Ekron northward. As seen in chapter 13, Ekron comes from Akar to pluck up or uproot. But that is from the same as "eker," meaning an offshoot or a descendant. Hence, the name could either mean offshoot or uprooted. Zephaniah will make a play on the name later in Scripture, saying, "Ekron shall be uprooted." In Joshua 10:43, Ekron is said to be in the original land grant of Dan. It is a city that remained pretty much under the control of the Philistines and Wikipedia notes the following concerning it. Since the discovery in 1996 of the Ekron inscription, Ekron has been positively identified with the Mound of Tel Mekneh in Hebrew or Kirbet el Mukhana Arabic. I'm sorry, I abused your language, Rhoda. I apologize. Mm -hmm. The Tel lies 35 kilometers, 22 miles west of Jerusalem, and 18 kilometers, 11 miles north of Tel Es Safi the almost certain site of the Philistine city of Gath on the grounds of Kibbutz Revadim on the eastern edge of the Israeli coastal plain. Verse 11 continues, Then the border went around to Shekron, passed along to Mount Ba'ala, and extended to Jabnael. Shikron supposedly comes from shahar to become drunk. However, the root S-K-R can mean either shachar or sakir, hired, sakar, to hire, wage, and so on. As such, it does not have to indicate being drunk, but wages. Jabne'el comes from bana, to build, and el, god. Hence, it is something like built of god. Verse 11 continues, and the border ended at the sea. Ve'hayu totzot hagevu yama, and have been outgoings, the border westward. The meaning is seaward. And thus the Mediterranean Sea. The entire northern border is thus complete. From there, the final border is described. Verse 12. The west border was the coastline of the Great Sea. Ugevu Yam Hayama Hagadol. And border west, the sea, the great. The same word, Yam, means both sea and west. This is because directions are often defined by the layout of the land as one is standing in Canaan looking east. With that, the verses today finish with verse 12. This is the boundary of the children of Judah all around according to their families. Zeh, gevul bene Yehudah saviv le mishpotam. This boundary, sons Judah around to their families. One can see how this clause of verse 12 complements the opening verse of the chapter. They are like bookends to the section which has been presented. Verse one, and came the lot to tribe sons Judah To their families. Verse 12, this boundary, sons Judah around to their families. The tribe of Judah, from which will descend the Messiah himself, is thus described according to all of the names presented. However, it is certain that this is more than just a listing of marking points to define the land where Judah will dwell. This will be seen as we continue. God is telling us a story about the coming Messiah if we will just pay heed. These are the borders of my land known as praise. And together they have a story to tell us. It is a story that will continue on for eternal days. It is the story of our Lord Jesus. Every detail gives us hints of what he has done or of how it is realized in each of us. The marvelous details concerning God's own son. Glorious pictures of our Lord Jesus. God has set forth these things, allowing us to see the beautiful things that Christ has done for us. The truths are found in the gospel that he offers for free. It is the precious gift of God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Our second thought today is pictures of Christ. The borders of Judah were marked out, but scripture doesn't say how this came about. Whether it is the same process that is detailed for the northern tribes in Joshua 18 or not, we can't know. All we are told in verse 1 is that this lot came out for Judah. As the lot is directed by the Lord, that is sufficient for deciding the rest of the land divisions. Whether marked out by man and then decided by lot for the tribe, or whether the Lord decided the borders and then the tribe, or the tribe and then the borders, it doesn't matter. There are borders and they form a land grant. That grant is now given to Judah. I will give the details of each place mentioned but I don't want to make stuff up. When my comments are speculative, I will let you know. As for these borders of Judah or praise, I suggest that they are given as a snapshot of the work of Christ and how it applies to his people, including the state of his people. The Southern border, the right-hand border as Canaan is laid out, gives numerous references to the work of Christ and to the person of Christ. Edom's border is the first thing mentioned, and it defines Judah's southern border. Edom means red, but its letters are identical to Adam, or Adam, man. The picture of Adam and Edom in Genesis 25 was very clear, as other pictures have been since. If you haven't seen that, you should go back and watch that sermon to understand this. Christ is noted as the second man and the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15 there it says and so it is written the first man adam became a living being the last adam became a life-giving spirit that's 1 corinthians 15:45 and then the first man was of the earth made of dust the second man is the lord from heaven that's 1 corinthians 15:47 this border was also said to be at the wilderness of zin or thorn in the bible the wilderness signifies an uncultivated area not necessarily a barren desert. It is a place of God's grace and of closeness to God, but it is also a place of testing. For some, such as Israel, the testing resulted in disobedience. For others, such as when Christ was tested, it is a place of fellowship through obedience. The wilderness and the laws are closely connected because it is by law that testing is accomplished. As for the wilderness of Zin, That was seen several times as typical of Christ's cross. This is the extreme right or southern border. The implication is that because the right in the Bible is the position of power, the cross is the ultimate expression of the power of God in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If the message of the cross is the power of God, then it is the cross itself that demonstrates that power. The southern border was next said to begin at the southern border of the Salt Sea. Salt is a sign of the covenant, and it also signifies incorruptibility. It's an obvious picture of Christ's incorruptibility proven through his death and resurrection. Akrabim, or scorpions, anticipates Christ's scourging. The word scorpion is used elsewhere metaphorically in this manner. Kadesh Barnea, holy purifying wanderings, is the extreme southern part of the wilderness of Zin. It anticipates the perfect work of Christ. Hezron or enclosure anticipates his tomb. Adar would signify the majestic nature of the Lord's work. That's found, for example, in Luke 9:43, 2 Peter 1:16, and so on. Karka'ah, pavement, would anticipate the pavement. Gabbatha, where Christ was judged in John 19.13. Atsom, meaning mighty, speaks of the mighty nature of Christ's work. These are not in order in the narrative. But that only makes sense because they are north of Kadesh Barnea in the wilderness of Zin, which anticipates his cross. In other words, the border goes down like this. Okay? So, they don't have to be in order because we're putting the cross at the preeminent position and everything else follows logically. Hence, they are anticipating the cross as the south is approached. The brook of Egypt, Nachal Mitzrayim, is the anticipation of the inheritance of those who are in double trouble, fallen, and without God in the world. This is the southern border. It anticipates Christ's work The power of God unto salvation brought about through his life, fulfilling of the law, death and fulfillment of the law, and the application of those things to the people of the world. The statement, which was in a different tense than the others, this shall be your southern border, anticipates that the typology extends beyond Judah to all of Israel. This would then be inclusive of Gentiles who were brought into the commonwealth of Israel, as is stated in Ephesians 2, verse 12. As such, it is an all-inclusive statement concerning the scope of the completed work of Jesus Christ. With that, the eastern border was defined in verse 5 as the western border of the Salt Sea. The word kedema, or eastward, was used. Kedem signifies east, but it also signifies before earlier and even everlasting in the Bible. If you go to uh, the description of Jesus in Micah 5, I believe it is, it says his origins are from everlasting. It's Kadem. it's the East, it's from before time. Again, it speaks of the nature of the covenant, which would be the new covenant because the Jordan, the descender, meaning Christ Jesus, falls into the salt sea. His perfect work anticipates his incorruptible nature the perfection of the new covenant, and the eternal nature of that covenant, all seen in those words there. The northern border has a lot of names in it. North is the dark or hidden direction in scripture. We can think of it as anticipating those who are hidden in Christ, as Paul says. In other words, the effects of the work of Christ as they apply to his people. We've got Christ's work here, we've got the nature of Christ in the covenant here, and now we have the effects of that here. As just relayed, that begins at the Jordan as it falls into the salt sea. One must come through the Jordan, meaning through Jesus Christ, to enter the inheritance. That is through his death, burial, and resurrection, typified by the Jordan at the mouth of the salt, meaning the Dead Sea. Beit Hogla, the house of turning and joy, anticipates the state of believers in their salvation. Beit Arava, the house of the pledge, signifies the state of being sealed with the Spirit. For example, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, and who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Greek word there is Aravon, pledge. That's 2 Corinthians 1, 21, and 22. It's also seen in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5, and Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. The stone of Bohan, or thumb, is next. Stone signifies establishment, as in setting up a pillar. It signifies permanence. That which is established is set to stand firm. It signifies resiliency and strength, as in that which is fixed and unyielding. The thumb represents the hand, and thus action. It is that which has the ability to grasp firmly. It anticipates the eternal security of the believer, something that follows naturally after the Pledge of the Spirit. Adding in the name Reuben, meaning see a son, would anticipate the sonship of those who are in Jesus Christ. As Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 anticipates the trek believers take in Christ. It says the border went to Debir, place of the word, from the valley, meaning the depth of trouble. Man in Christ was in the depth of trouble. He hears the word and believes. From there, it goes to Ha-Gilgal, the liberty, just as man enters into the liberty found in Christ. The reproach is rolled away. That is said to be before the ascent of Adumim, or ascent of the red ones, meaning men, it is the heavenly promise noted many times in Scripture, such as Ephesians 2, verse 6, where believers are said to be raised up and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This location was on the south side of the valley. The word Negev, or parched, is used. The valley is Nahal, an inheritance. The meaning seems obvious. Even though we have the heavenly inheritance in Christ, until things are finished, we are still on the dry side of glory. Awaiting the life that is truly life, where the waters of life flow copiously and constantly forever and ever and ever. The border then continues to En Shemesh, fountain of the sun, and ends at En Rogel, fountain of the fuller. It speaks of the eternal light of Christ, Malachi 4, 2, and thus the eternal flowing of light where there will be no night, Revelation 22, verse 5, and of the eternally purified garments such as those mentioned in Revelation 3, verse 5. Verse 8 continues with the effects of the work of Christ on his people. It mentions the valley of the Son of Hinnom, the exaltation of the Son of Groaning. Christ went through his passion, and because of it, He now brings each of us out of our own state of groaning. Here's what it says in Romans 8, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. It then mentions the Jebusite, the treading down. The word is derived from bus to tread down or to trample. The thought is expressed in Psalm 60. Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down, that word bus, our enemies. Immediately after that it said, it, Jerusalem. The foundation of peace is realized because of our position in Christ. Next, it said the border went up to the top of the mountain before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the end of the valley Emek of Rephaim northward. A paraphrase of the two would be the exaltation of groaning and the depth of the healed ones. Each again anticipates the state of believers. The fountain of Nephthah anticipates eternal access into glory symbolized by the gates that are never shut in the New Jerusalem. Mount Ephron is given to anticipate the gathering of those of the dust, meaning the redeemed of humanity. As for the next two names, I mentioned I don't want to be dogmatic. I can only speculate and tell you what I think. Baalah is a feminine word. The word Ba'al means master. Hence, Baalah means lady. But not if we think of as a general female. Rather, we can think of lords and ladies. My supposition would be that it refers to the church as a whole, which is a feminine noun. This was also called Kiriath jerim. The standard meaning is city of honeycombs or city of forests. However, Abarim says the following. The verb yaar isn't used in the Bible, and it's a complete mystery what it might have meant. Noun ya'ar is the common word for forest or thicket, and the identical noun ya'ar means honeycomb. It is, of course, perfectly possible that these two nouns are not two, but one, describing something general, like a thing that consists of many elements which contain energetic nutrients, either fruits or honey. Therefore, this could be an explanation of the church. A group derived from many people, each filled with individual fruit of the Spirit. That's the best I can do on this location. From there, it again mentions Ba'ala turning to Mount Seir, meaning Mount Harry. Harry in the Bible signifies awareness, especially the awareness of sin. This would fit perfectly with those in the church who are both aware of sin and have handed that sin over to Jesus Christ. As this seems likely, the next words would then logically follow. Mount Jerem would represent the gathering of the church that is restated as it, Cheselon. Cheselon is the mount of the foolish, and it is well reflected by Paul's words of 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 and elsewhere, where he says that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise The idea of being foolish is used in an ironic way when referring to believers, but it does fit the typology here. The next two references are the house of the sun, an obvious picture of the eternal nature of the light in the New Jerusalem, and then in Revelation, it does say that there will be no sun, however, seeing as how Jesus is the son of righteousness from Malachi 4, and he will be there, and because he is the lamp of the light of God, the typology still fits. Timna, allotted portion, is exactly what believers anticipate, meaning their allotted portion in glory. Naming ekron, or offshoot, again speaks of the state of believers in Christ. Shikron, or wages, seems out of place, as wages are usually negatively associated with earning one's way. But when the wages are applied to Christ, as in Zechariah 11 verse 12 and then placed alongside the last two named places, Mount Ba'ala and Javna'el, the meaning seems clear. The wages, shikron, paid by Christ, form the gathering of the church, Mount Ba'ala, which is built of God, Javna'el. With that, the northern border is ended. All that's left is the west, which is the Great Sea. That anticipates the state of eternally seeking after God, Revelation 4, verse 6 says there is a sea, like glass before the throne of God. It later says that there is no sea in the New Jerusalem because the sea in Scripture pictures the chaos or churning of the nations. The sea before the throne is like placid glass. There is harmony and tranquility before God. The West is the direction of the Holy of Holies, and it is emblematic of the throne of God. Hence, the great sea anticipates that. With that, our passage for today is complete. As I mentioned, there are a few points that I feel confident enough to speculate on, but not confident enough to say with certainty. Remember that when you listen to preachers evaluate the word. And the only way that you can truly do that is to read and to know the word as well. Take time to do that each day, at least two or 10 times each day. And maybe get an audio Bible for your time in the car. The more you take in the word, the better prepared you will be to walk away from people that misuse it. Above all, be sound in your doctrine about Jesus. If nothing else, be sure about that. If you get him wrong, all of the rest of the Bible will be totally out of whack. Jesus. 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 It is all about Jesus. He is the key to salvation. Without him, there can be no salvation. Hold fast to Jesus, the one who all of this word anticipates, reveals, and explains. Yes, hold fast to Jesus. What a wonderful God. Now, I'm certain of this myself. I did the study. It took me 10, 11 hours on a Monday to go through these. And as I was going through them, I was using the same translation as I have used in other translations since these names began all the way back in Genesis. It's very consistent, and the picture is very clear. The work of Christ here, how it applies to believers here, the state of Christ and how we enter through Christ to get into Christ in the first place. It's all laid out. I have no problem with what was presented, and we're going to continue to see this in the borders of these tribes. As I said last week, I think it was, the sermon that I typed for on that Monday, last week, the Monday, not this Monday, but the week before, was the most refreshing sermon that I have typed in a long, long time. I'm not saying it's my favorite sermon. I'm not saying that you're going to like it. I just was so refreshed at seeing the typology in there. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, can't be that, can't be that, right from the beginning. And so I kept trying to put that away. And by the time I was done, I said, that is it. It was so clear and obvious that when you get there, unless we're gone first, you're going to love it. I'm telling you, it just, it's marvelous. And the next week after that, it fit again this past Monday unbelievable so the borders and the locations and the cities are all telling us a story we just have to be willing to look now next week you will notice if you look the uh, chapter 15 that we're in it's like 65 verses long and we've got like 872 names in there you got like a 14 hour sermon coming for you folks okay that may not be true but I think you'll enjoy it I really do The whole point of what I'm saying, though, is everything points to Jesus. Jesus. Everything. The Bible is telling us to wake up from our slumber. God is putting his son on display and the effects of what he has done for you on display. And all you need to do is one simple thing. Man, we had the best day at the projects yesterday. I'm telling you what, sometimes we go there and it's like nothing ever gets done. You think, what am I doing here? And it can go on for months. And then you have one of those days that reminds you everything is going well. I got to talk to a young man yesterday and I could tell he had no self-esteem at all. He was literally just, can we pray with you? Yeah, okay. It was just, everything was just negative. And then I, I asked uh, Rick, I said, Rick, do you want to talk to him? We'll go on. He said, no, no, you go ahead. So I got to talk to this guy. And I'm telling him about Jesus. I had already given him a Bible. And I said, listen, you were created in God's image you have value. And this is what God did for you to prove your value. And that young guy lit. I'm not kidding. It was as if he was a light that was pulled on. He went from a dark, somber to the happiest face. He was so filled with joy in his face. And I said, now read this book, get to know it. Get to know the Lord that did this for you. It was just unbelievable, the change in his face. And then all the way through the projects, we just kept meeting nice people, new people, people that were just, it was a great day. We don't always get them. It's not very common. But Jesus has the power to change lives. Call on Jesus. The, what I told him is, here it is. Here's what you need to do in order to be saved. And you could see people always, they start backing up like, oh, here it comes. I said, all you have to do is believe God did the work. He sent his son. His son died for your sins. His son was buried. His son rose again. That is all that God wants of you. He was so happy to hear that news. It was just utter joy in his face. You believe this. And the next time somebody asks you, are you going to heaven? You tell him yes, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God for Jesus. Do it today. Yeah, sealed. It's done. Our closing verse comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 oh by the way we're starting 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1 Thursday Bible study be here or be square for this reason we also thank God without ceasing and when I say be here I mean either online or whatever just pay attention to the Bible for this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the Word of God which you heard from us you welcomed it not as the word of men but as as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You want to see a big change in somebody? Read him the Koran. No, you're, you're going to get no change. You might get a negative change. Read him about Buddha. Read him about, I don't care what you read from this world that has been produced by man. You will not get the change that you will get from the power of the written word of God. Wonderful. Which also effectively works in you who believe. Praise God for His wonderful word. Next week is Joshua 15. Here it is, 13 through 63. More precious than the biggest heists of Luta. It's entitled "A Share Among the Children of Judah." That'll be our 32nd Joshua sermon. Like I said, it's a long sermon. You got you better just bring your your uh, yeah, bring your coffee and maybe a, a sleeping bag because it's not. It's the same length. I promise you, it'll go quickly. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Now I've got a question for you. It, two people are going to get this and maybe three. So I want you to raise your hand like usual. Sometimes I don't think anybody's going to get it. I said just shout it out. But this one, raise your hand. Finish this Verse. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, (laughs) there it is. In the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Actually, believe it or not, that is the verse that R.C. Sproul came to Christ over. That verse. Now you tell me, how can that verse convert a person? R.C. Sproul came to Jesus Christ because of that verse. Here it is. A tree is standing. That falls to the south or to the north. In the place where it falls, there it will lie. you got one life. And when you lay down your head, that is where you will lie forever. And how did he get predestination out of that? That's all. I don't care about that. That's, that's just <laughs> bad training that came later. But when he said that, I said, I can believe that. What a wonderful verse. One of my favorite in the Bible. Oh, I didn't tell you what your treat was. You get some Florida saltwater taffy. Yeah. Okay, the parking lot for that. <laughs> oh, we'll get that in one second. Okay, I got to read you a poem here, and then we'll we'll get done. This is called The Borders of the Land of Judah. So this was a lot of the tribe, of the children of Judah, according to each family, the border of Adam at the wilderness of Zin, southward was the extreme southern boundary. And their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea, from the bay that faces southward, Then it passed out to the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, passed along to Zin, yes, Zinward, ascended on the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along to Hezron, how about that, huh? Went up to Adar and then went around to Karka'ah. From there it passed toward Atzmon and went out to the brook of Egypt and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border, so don't feel chipped. The east border was the Salt Sea as far as the mouth of the Jordan, which rhymes with Gordon, and the border on the northern quarter began at the bay of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan. The border went up to Beit Hoglah and passed north of Beit Arava there and then, and the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Then the border went up toward the Beer from the valley of Achor, and it turned northward toward Gilgal, where the troops rallied which is before the ascent of Adumim on the south side of the valley. The border continued toward the waters of Enchemesh Shemesh and ended at Enrogel. Let's not hear any haw or hem. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. The border went up to the top of the mountain that lies westward before the valley of Hinnom, which is at the end of the valley of Rephaim northward, where Rephaim, Rome. Then the border went around from the top of the hill to Neftoa's fountain of water flowing to the brim and extended to the cities of Mount Ephron. And the border went around to Baalah, which is Kiriath-Jerim. Then the border turned westward from Baalah to Mount Seir, passed along to the side of Mount Jerim, Hurrah, on the north, which is Kesalon, went down to Bet-Shemesh and passed on to Timnah. And the border went out to the side of Ekron northward Then the border went around to Shikron, as you can see, passed along to Mount Baalah, and extended to Javnael, and the border ended at the sea. The west border was the coastline of the Great Sea. This is the children of Judah's boundary. According to their families all around, this was Judah's piece of ground. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God. May our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stories you tell us in typology, in pictures, in the lives of people and how they live them, in the morality that is displayed, in the wisdom that is displayed. What a precious word you have given us. Thank you that every word is pure, every word is precious, and every word has purpose. Thank you for this wonderful word from the wisdom of your mind and for the benefit of the saving of our souls and then the encouragement of our lives in Christ. Thank you for this precious word. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus who is the subject of this word. Thank you that he did what he did so we can be reconciled to you. And it's in his precious and beautiful name we pray. Amen. Yes, we okay. have um, a video coming out next week. Uh, Sergio has been working on it for, what, four months now. Okay, he's had, obviously, family. He's had health problems. He's had a wife that he's got to take care of. Okay, and so he's, he's had a lot to do. But at the same time, he has put a ton of work into this video. So I hope that you'll enjoy it. And my question for you, this is what I wanted to ask you are you going to plug it into the computer so that we can watch it before the rest of the people of the world? If so, I just need to tell them. If not, that's fine. Well, if we do, you have to say yes or no. If you'll do that for us, and I'll tell them they need to be here at 9 o'clock if they want to see the preview of this video. Because it's long. It's 30, it's 30 minutes. So you have to be here by 9 o'clock or at the latest 9.05 because I'm starting it by then. Oh, they can just watch it at home. Yeah, you can watch it at home. But better sound effects. Better well, we got a TV here. It's up to them. I'm just giving them the option. Oh, do you care? No. You'll have to watch it again at home so he gets the numbers to go up. But anyway, <laughs> all right, we'll plan on that. We'll plan on that. If there's a change, then I'm going to have to let you all know that, but I just want to know if we could watch it early. Okay, if you want to come in and watch it, great. All right. Um, but I just wanted to get approval of that, and so he says, yeah, so that's what we're going to do. Passage from the sermon that's coming up. In oh, yeah, weeks. that's right. Joshua He's, 19. Joshua 19, he took a passage out of there for this. So he actually, he emailed me, and he said, well, you know... I, I don't know if uh, you've done the sermon, but I need information from it. And then he checked and he's like, oh, it's done. So he used that just well, four actually, days ago. Four months of work, I finished the video, and then I read the sermon, and they have to change everything. Oh. <laughs> That's true. He had to delete a lot in the past week. That's true. I was wrong, yes. Way to go, Charlie. Way to go, Charlie. Okay, so uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, take communion. Now, as we're taking communion, I said this last year. I don't want anybody to blow up over this. I understand that legalism permeates some people's souls and they can't get away from that kind of stuff. But this week in two days is Valentine's Day. So I have something for each lady that comes up. Okay. I have something for you. As you come up, I'll give it to you. That's what I was doing was counting to make sure I had enough. Okay. If you don't want a Valentine's flower, then don't take it. Don't give me any grief like one lady did here a couple years ago. I don't need that in my life, okay? So, yeah, oh boy, that was just miserable. So, don't be legalistic in life. Valentine's Day is not a pagan holiday. Valentine's Day is an invented holiday, which came up about 18-something. Somebody invented it, and that's where it came from. Hallmark. Yeah, exactly. Hallmark. Speaking of Hallmark, one more time. It is Kathleen's birthday. I got something here for you, Kathleen. Right here. Okay, so we've got that for Kathleen, that for uh, uh, Ray, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper.